This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American chicken tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner. Uh, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasemonspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am. Um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything we can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. the Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello. And welcome to a Monday morning ish edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Alex, Alex Kirshner of Banner Society, a very good college football website that you should be reading uh is here alex good morning ish how are you doing doing great doing great thanks for having me on yeah i don't know what to call noon is that still morning is that afternoon at that point i it's right there in the middle when a tweener for I sure just, i don't know what to call that yeah yeah a tweener right <laughs> um well we're going to be talking about a couple college things that i want to pick your brain about because i really enjoy reading your work listening to you on uh, the podcast on SB Nation, but um, you wrote something about Bama that I thought was fascinating because of how much I think everybody who watches college football um, and obsesses over it every Saturday, uh, they love watching Alabama lose. Like that's sometimes more fun than just whatever else is going on on that Saturday. It's just how is Johnny Football going to beat Alabama? How is Ruben Randall, as you wrote about, going to beat Alabama? Like you yeah. got to the bottom of. <laughs> what happened there and like why Alabama actually loses and that the conversations we have with each other are usually wrong in why Alabama loses 
the games that they lose. Um, but you found basically it's they find a matchup that they like, and then that person's just going to wreck your life for the majority of that game. Yeah, that's the really simple truth of it. Uh, and not in a guaranteed fashion, but there's no certain path to beating Alabama. But if you have a wide receiver uh, who you can find ways to isolate, which is pretty tough to do against Bama's defense for uh, reasons relating to how Saban does coverages, uh, then that's probably your best chance. Uh, or just being Auburn uh, and doing weird Auburn <laughs> things to Alabama, which is uh, another path that you could take. Yeah, I um, I I'm interested. Do you think when you look at their schedule in 2020, is there anyone uh, with a particular player quarterback right now that you're like, oh, that has all the makings of a, a bad Alabama loss? Well, they have Georgia on the schedule, and Georgia's quarterback situation is kind of up in the air. We'll see how Jamie Newman does. Um, but Georgia's going to have a few really good receivers, um, as usual. Uh, and, you know, I think that, you know, with I believe Lawrence Cager is, is gone to the NBA, uh, excuse me, the NFL. Um, but, you know, Demetrius Robinson's still there. Uh, Demetrius Robertson, excuse me, still there. Um, got a number of other really highly touted recruits. Um, and a Pickens. new offensive. Yep. Yep. George Pickens, excuse, very important. Um, and, you know, a new offensive staff. Uh, so I would suspect that, you know, George is going to be spending a lot of time in the next couple of months figuring out which one of those guys gives them the best shot uh, and probably try to split it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Georgia is interesting. I, I want to see what Newman looks like. I think people just pencil in um, just what he did at Wake. And it's like, oh, now he's going to be great in the air raid with Tom. There's just so many changes on <laughs> offense that like, yeah. Sure. It feels very un-Georgia-like, right? Like, this is not something that's ever been in their MO. And then, like, I, I still maintain the belief that a lot of their offensive identity over the last couple of years was what Kirby wanted, more so than maybe what Cheney or Coley last year wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that And I wonder how... I just wonder how seamless that transition is going to be from uh, running it up. Uh, like they threw the they threw the ball like one time against Kentucky in the second half, and I understand it was raining, but there's a lot of raining football games that teams throw more than one time in the second half. Yeah, um, it was very conservative. He likes conservative. He has five stars all across the offensive line. He wants to run it up the middle. He wants to do that kind of stuff. That I I wonder if it's sound. It's one of those things that sounds good in January, and then in October, Kirby's losing his mind because his OC Monken is chucking it deep on third and three and he's Mm -hmm. just losing it i I just wonder if it's like so much of a philosophical shift um and and ideologies that you're just like oh we we just think this is all going to be seamless newman in for from all these receivers getting a year older more talent um some changes across the offensive line monken's going to come in and save things matt luke is going to be fine in sam Pittman's role there's just that's a lot of change in one offseason it is. It is. And it'll definitely be a different looking offense. Uh, I'll be curious to see if having a bit more of a run oriented quarterback allows them to do some things that they were never going to do with Jake Fromm. Um, you know, I, I think that under the old staff, and I, I think that you make a good point about maybe this just having been what Kirby wanted because they didn't show a lot of interest a couple of years ago in playing Justin Fields or running an offense this way, but um, just the, the threat of a QB runner in the backfield really changes the numbers at the line of scrimmage. Um, and I think that with Monken in for 
uh, Coley, you know, you, you might see an offense that's just constructed entirely differently. Um, and that would be fun to see if, if they do go that route, because there's a lot of talent there. Uh, and, you know, given how up in the air things are around the SEC, um, it could be a pretty good year to be a team that has an answer at quarterback. Yeah, and luckily for Georgia, they play in the SEC East. And mm-hmm. uh, I want we'll to see with uh, how some of these teams do, but um, it's not exactly the SEC West. And the SEC West obviously getting just, it was already a bloodbath, but next year figures to just be absolutely insane. Like a 5-7 and seven SEC West team is like the eighth best team in the country, maybe. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, how would you rank the SEC West going into 2020, especially with Felipe Franks on board at Arkansas. Like everything is, yeah. everything is weird. Kellen Mon getting his 19th year of eligibility at Texas A&M. Um, <laughs> that's nice. I, I, I've gone back and forth on all these different teams and where they'll stack up. Like I, I have no idea where, where do you stand right now in late January? Yeah, I, I think it's extremely up in the air because I mean, how many teams in this division have uh, significant, quarterback uncertainty i mean alabama and lsu definitely do and maybe that's all that matters um you know mississippi state what their offense is going to look like um you know you have an idea of what mike leach wants it to be uh but you know does he have the ideal pieces in place in year one um i think that in some combination i think the top three uh will probably change a little bit because i think texas a&m with so much coming back will probably be better than one of Auburn, LSU, and Alabama. Like I think they'll rise, and I think they could finish second or third in that division. Uh, but it's so hard to say. I guess if you were forcing me to make a prediction, I would say Alabama one, Auburn two, A and M three, LSU four, Mississippi State five, Ole Miss six, Arkansas seven. But um, it's tough. I do think LSU's going to take a pretty massive step backward, but that's that's fine. Life is. Yeah. Life is short. You had a great 2019. You can reload. You'll be back some sometime. Yeah, LSU, man. It just, everything went right, and they'll always have this season, and I'm right there with you. I think it's going to be a brutal uh, next year. Like, 7-5 and five would not shock me at all for this team next year. Um, I don't know. I think yeah. we'll have to see what they'll do at OC and DC. Um life's not fair and you lose your assistance like that all like you you wonder too like if this had happened to Dabo the year after he really broke through like he just loses everybody because he just built the super staff like what his career looks like mm-hmm. that's something i've been thinking about lately of just like him getting lucky and not getting his assistance picked off immediately um i wonder what Ordron does with all of his assistants just immediately getting just parsed through um i don't know yeah. saban can withstand it certain coaches can uh we'll see if Ordron can I, I have my doubts, I will say that, but then again, just there's just so much talent in Louisiana, and he's just such a good recruiter that it's really going to be, it, it's just too hard for them to really fall off a cliff. No, yeah, I, I think that any step backward for them would be short uh, because the fundamentals are still there um, for LSU to have you know more national championship years at some time or another, but uh, yeah, it, it has set up very difficult for them uh, for at least 2020. So best coaching hires, I think we're done. Hawaii finally hired Todd Graham, which, uh, sure, not exactly the most inspiring hire, but 
Sure. It's Hawaii. And I watch an inordinate, inordinate amount of uh, Hawaii football. And uh, I'm worried about my Same. Cole McDonald's future uh, with the Todd Graham offense. But we'll have to see. Um, what are your best coaching hires right now? Or maybe just the best singular if it's only one for you right now? That's a great question. Uh, well, I actually think that a great hire was Oregon getting Joe Moorhead to be offensive coordinator. Uh, because, mm. I, you know, I, I think that he – despite how poorly things went at Mississippi state um, remains one of the best offensive minds uh, in the country. And we'll see how that goes there. Um, you know, it's, it's so early, but I, I liked Baylor getting Dave Aranda uh, to replace Matt rule because I think Aranda uh, as a kind of front facing head of a program is a really interesting concept because he spent so many years being just an excellent, excellent, like top five in the sport defensive coordinator um, and you know the way that rule fashioned Baylor over his couple of years there um, was as a ball control program that plays excellent defense and I think that Aranda uh, probably can maintain you know a pretty high level of play on that side of the ball at a time when the big 12 does not have a ton going for it outside of Oklahoma um, so you know it's you never liked to have to replace a coach who left if you're a power five team but uh it happens, and I think that Baylor did a really nice job finding a guy who can kind of build on on what Matt Rule laid as a foundation there. Do you like the partnership of him and Larry Fedora as OC? It makes sense. I mean, Larry Fedora, for several years um, at Southern Miss when he was, uh, you know, coordinating and coaching there, um, and, you know, for maybe two or three really good years at North Carolina – um, had offenses that were a lot better than their recruiting rankings said they should have been, but seemed to outperform uh, expectations and that looked different over the years. You know, he had to change quarterbacks a couple of times. Um, Marquise Williams and Mitch Trubisky weren't the same type of quarterback and the offense kind of adjusted um, when Williams left and Trubisky took over and they kept being pretty effective. Uh, so, yeah, I think that Baylor should be, um, you know, as these things go, I should feel like they're in pretty good hands, you know, while stipulating that there's there's still never anything close to a guarantee. Yeah, I think Baylor's going to be fine. And I think this went, as, went about as well as it could have gone because Rule was one of the later coaching departures. And mm-hmm. um, you kind of feel bad for programs like that where it's like, oh, and now what do we do? And recruiting, it's kind of like it's just a weird time for recruiting. And just it's tough um, to make these kind of changes in the fly, especially when you just have this guy who built this great program and really did it in a really um efficient way uh i'm with you and he seems like an easy guy to root for like dave aranda is someone that you're like oh it's everything you watch with him you're like oh I, I like this guy so i i hope for the best for him um i don't know it there wasn't a lot of major changes like shiano at rutgers you have norvell at florida state which a lot of people like and getting chubb purdy and just honestly signing quarterbacks because that's still like one of the most insane things about the Taggart tenure in Tallahassee was that he didn't sign a quarterback for two years. I just, that was ultimately his downfall. Um, Alex Hornybrook did not, uh, did not fix things down there and James Blackman and friends. But um, I, I think that's going to be a really good situation, but I still think that uh, Taggart was put in a position where it was just it was gonna be bad and it was gonna be really hard to get out of and uh norvell is going to capitalize on that and yeah well he's weak uh yeah i was gonna say i think 
Florida State is going to find itself in a bit of a tough spot for a little while longer because of some of their uh, academic progress report issues that might make it pretty tough for them to turn over the roster. Uh, this was a problem that Willie Taggart sure, and obviously didn't do a great job dealing with, but um, I'm not sure that Norvell is going to find themselves totally out of the woods, and they're going to be in a situation where if they want to take chances on who might be kind of close to the qualification line academically, um, they might not be able to do a whole lot of that because they're um, at risk of falling to a point where they have postseason problems and scholarship reductions. Um, we'll see. But I think that they are in a, a really, really tricky spot uh, and, and have been for a few years. Interesting. Um, I think the most sneaky one that I enjoyed was Rhett Lashley at Miami. I yeah. I think yeah. he's been good everywhere he's gone. He's been at every school yeah. in the last seven years since leaving um, Gus Malzahn, and he played for Malzahn in high school and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I think Miami still has a lot of talent there. Jaron Williams is going to transfer. You get Derek King, that offense, what he did at SMU last year. I I think there's an, a, a path to Miami getting back to maybe faster than Florida state. Like you point out to um, not contention with Clemson, but more of like the eight, like not six and six, like eight or nine wins next year. And it's a lot more fun offense than what we saw this past season with Enos. Yeah. I think they could be a lot more fun. I agree with that. And uh, it might become an issue for them at some point uh, that they have relied so heavily on the transfer market because uh, you know, you're only going to have Derek King for a year. And then, you know, if that's not a great year, uh, then where are you? Uh, you know, I, I perhaps Tate Martell, uh, but I don't really think that they're uh, relying on that as a plan. So, uh, yeah, I hope it's a good 2020 for them. It does it does feel like they're putting a lot of eggs into that basket. And uh, if it doesn't work, it won't be great, but maybe it will. And, and all there is to do is see. Which um, year three, or maybe even year two coach, are you most worried about not turning a program around? Because it seems like you have to give a coach three years to really um, see if they can make progress to build their own program, get their own players. Is there one coach in particular that's been at a school for a couple of years now that um, no one's talking about might be in trouble, but you're like, oh, this is not a, this is a disturbing trend, or we're getting to that point where it's time to start wondering if this person is capable of turning this program around. Uh, I don't know if he's currently in any kind of trouble, but I'm going to be really interested to see what happens with uh, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee this year, uh, because mm. he's had, you know, just packed a lot of really interesting things in the two years there so far. Um, yet what I think most people would describe as an okay first year um, after a really tumultuous coaching search, which resulted in, you know, Phil Fulmer kind of taking over from John Curry in, in a way that kind of had a lot of palace intrigue and a lot of drama. Uh, last year couldn't have started much worse. You lose at home to Georgia State, but then you finish uh, really, really strong. And I think leave people pretty optimistic about what that program could be. And, you know, seeing what happens uh, in year three, where, like you said, you know, you've, you've sort of had uh, a lot of time at this point to put your stamp on the program and where, you know, this thing is clearly yours uh, and where you have some support probably because of what you did in 2019. 
uh, it, it does feel like, you know, either they're going to continue to make progress and they're going to win nine or 10 games or they're not. And it's going to be very bad for him. Um, you know, it, it would carry the feeling of stagnation and that's never what you want when you're in your third or fourth year of the program. So uh, I'll be watching Tennessee very closely. I like that, especially when you have five five stars starting on your offensive line this year. Is it really There's that no much? Yeah, I know Trey Smith uh, is back. Yeah, I mean, they, they have talent. Talent. Talent is. They literally yeah, have five five stars starting next year. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's they. And, and, you know, if you can't find a quarterback to, you know, I don't know if it would be Brian Moore or uh, Jericho Arantano, but if you can't find a quarterback to succeed behind that line, uh, then it, you know, probably says something about your ability to develop quarterbacks. So that would be another layer to that. And also, Marietta, quarterback state champion, um, who beat my high school alma mater, Parkview, uh, Harrison Bailey, is going to be on campus this fall. I think he's ah, a five yeah. star. So they got him coming in too. So maybe, maybe he will step in there. But I like Meyer. I like that dude. If he can um, avoid 93 concussions next year, um, because that guy is the cringiest quarterback to watch just because he is uh, fearless and. Uh, it's it's not good um not good at all um last thing and then we'll wrap up here um what changes emirate is talking more and more about um what's going on in the future of college sports and all that kind of stuff and the fears with non-revenue sports and everything else just very um vague terms which is what they do because they're slow and plotting and uh, big change is not something that's uh, in their DNA, as Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated illustrated uh, in um, a piece this week. But what do you see in the next year or two? What do you see any kind of big changes from the NCAA in the next couple of years? Uh, I definitely think there'll be changes. Uh, what I'm curious to see about is the extent of them. I think that in some form or fashion, you're going to see some rule change that maybe kind of allows um, some form of compensation. Uh, but I think the NCAA is going to try to work very hard on Congress to make that as narrow as possible um, and to try to keep the status quo in as much tact as they possibly can. So um, you know, I think a lot of it depends on what the politicians do, and I think the NCAA is going to try to slow this down as much as possible. But I do think that um, somewhere on the spectrum um, of change, uh, you're going to see a bit of progress for players and whether that's a lot or a little just depends on, on what people way above their pay grade decide. Yeah. I, um, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's just, they're going to keep tabling stuff until their, their hand is forced. That's what the NCAA does. They're resistant to change until change is forced upon them. Um, but it should be interesting to monitor, you guys will be monitoring it at Banner Society and SB Nation. Um, Alex, is there anything we should check out from you this week on BannerSociety.com? Uh, Ryan, Annie, and I have a story up today. Uh, we're recording this on Monday that's about uh, how boldly different types of teams should build their non-conference schedules. Uh, we've built a system that we call the Ambition Tiers uh, system, and we'd love for you to read it, especially if you are the athletic director of a college football, of a school that plays college football. But even if not. Okay, definitely do it. <laughs> Greg mm-hmm. McGarity, long lover of the Chase yeah. podcast. Go, Let's get him go read it, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, go do it, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alex, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time, and we will have to do this again soon. For sure. My pleasure. Thank you for uh, having me on.
All right, we're back on the Chase Storms podcast. I am now joined by Ron Counts of the Idaho Statesman. Ron, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I really should say good morning because it's what nine o'clock your time. Is it is it PST or Mount or Mountain Time in uh, Boise? Uh, we're actually we're actually Mountain Time. Mountain Time. So so we're about it's ten forty five in the morning here. So not too bad. So, so you technically can't leave the Mountain West Conference because you're literally on Mountain Time. So it would just feel <laughs> wrong for Boise not to play in the MWC, right? It, it would just be confusing. I mean, I, I'm, no one would know when the games would start. Yeah, it, it, it would just throw everything off. <laughs> um, that is the the hot talk around um, Boise right now for once it's not the Blue Fields or expert quarterback play <laughs> or um, just uh, all the traditional Boise State uh, conversations. This is a uh, different one and it involves uh, their TV deal and how they are treated differently um, than the rest of the NWC members um, in terms of TV revenue and the the surplus they get and all of that. It's very fascinating. Um, and they're upset that they are not getting those bumps anymore and uh, are suing, last I checked, filing a lawsuit. What, what is going on? I'm sure I've got some of this wrong, but what? Um, it, how do you explain what's happening right now uh, with Boise and the conference itself? Yeah, so, so so confusing is the best way to put it because the the, the terminolo- terminology really matters. So so let me go back to the very beginning. All, all this stems back from 2012, 13, uh, when Boise State was leaving the Mountain West to go to the Big East. Um, that deal fell through. So in negotiating with the Mountain West to return to the conference, Boise State negotiating negotiated these certain bumps into the contract. So they got an additional 1.8 million dollars a year in TV revenue money. And they also had the right to sit in on the negotiations for their home games. So, they, so the, in other words, that the, the conference and Boise State uh, personnel or administrators would negotiate their home games as a separate TV package from the rest of the conference. So they were getting that $1.8 million. So that's been in effect since 2012. This, this year, they announced a new TV deal, and Craig Thompson, the commissioner, kind of drops this bombshell that – this will be the last time that that happens. It'll be the last time that they negotiate those, those home games separately. It'll be the last time they get that $1.8 million uh, incentive. So Boise State comes back with not so fast, my friend. It's been written into the contract. And the contract even states that you cannot simply change this with a vote. Uh, Thompson says that uh, conference members met in December. Everyone voted to, to have more equity in the next TV deal. Now, remember, the TV deal they just signed goes for six years. So, you know, for all I know, this could be, this could be a conversation we're having six years down the road. You know, nothing may happen before then. But Thompson and the, the members of the conference all got together, laid out this eight-year plan for eliminating that $1.8 million bonus and giving everyone the same kind of TV revenue. Boise State obviously is not having that. So Boise State did file this, file this quote-unquote lawsuit. So that was the confusing statement that Boise State and the Mountain West put out last week. Technically, Boise State has filed a legal complaint. There has to be some sort of response for there actually to be a lawsuit. And the two actually put out a joint statement saying that they're trying to resolve this without litigation. So, you know, that really brings up the question of motivation. You know, was this all just a ploy by Boise State to make more money? You know, it, it, who really knows? You know, it's obvious that there's tension there. The relationship is not perfect. 
Um, there's been a lot of behind the scenes, behind the doors meetings. Um, we know that they involved a uh, uh, someone from the business world, an outside consultant named Dean Jordan, um, who was also critical in the the new ACC um, deal, their, their new uh, network launch. Um, he was the guy they tasked with trying to sell this whole idea of Boise State's revenue bump to the conference. Oh, and you know what? I left out a very important point. Uh, Boise State this year, according to court records, actually asked for more money. So mm. in the new deal, in the new deal, everyone TV money is more than doubling. Um, these numbers are a little bit fudged because Hawaii has its own TV deal. They kind of they kind of make things complicated, but. Uh, Boise State, the last several years, was making $2.8 million annually on their TV money, TV deal. The rest of the conference was making $1.1. And then on the new deal, Boise's money will go up to like $5.6 million, and the rest of the conference will go up to about $3.3, $3.4. So Boise actually wanted more money. Um, So they brought in this this consultant. He was supposed to sell the idea to the rest of the conference members. That never happened, according to paperwork. Instead, they all voted to eliminate this this incentive bump, to eliminate the the, the additional uh, home game package, and and they, they kind of did it, you know, under Boise's nose. Um, Kurt Absey, the AD, voted against it. Marlene Trump, the, the president, voted against it. But everyone else in the conference voted in favor of these measures. So it's it's one of those really confusing situations. I don't I don't know where it goes from here. You know, does Boise leave the conference? Who knows? Would they be happy with, with just a renegotiated TV deal? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, only time will tell. It's just the weirdest part to me is that the the conference themselves were playing dumb, like just surprised <laughs> about Boise being pissed off about this. That was the weirdest part to me is that they were framing it as like, we just can't believe Boise's upset about all of this. Where like, if this was understood for years and years and that, this is part of the the appeal for Boise to be in the Mountain West Conference to not expect them to react strongly and just kind of abhor what just happened like is very naive or just not truthful to me where I just I don't understand how this perspective works from their end where it's like what did you think would happen it's the Bill Burr thing like what did you think they thought and Mm -hmm. that's what I think about with this it's just what did they think Boise was going to do? Like, of course they were going to be pissed off. And like, why are you trying to just anger your most important conference member? I don't understand any of this. I, I don't understand the the strategy here by the conference. Exactly. And I brought that up to a couple of people. And one thing they mentioned to me, one thing to keep in mind here is that almost every school in the conference is under new leadership now um, mm. since that original deal was was, was signed. So only... Only one school in the conference, I, I believe San Diego State, but don't quote me, has the same university president, and only one school in Wyoming has the same AD since that deal was, was signed. So you've got a whole new group of leadership, and, you know, you look at Craig Thompson's position, you know, essentially 11 of his bosses want him to do one thing, one of his bosses wants him to do something else, you know, which way is he going to go in that situation? So, I mean, again, it all goes back to motivation. You're right. I, I don't know what the, the conference's motivation is here. You know, uh, a couple of people I've spoken to off the record, they, I think one of them, I, I, I'm not quoting him here, but he said that uh, uh, these, these schools are run by really smart people, but, time, but sometimes they get really bad advice. So, you know, yeah. he thinks that a, a lot of this was just kind of 
overblown. You know, a lot of this is just kind of people pumping their chests out, maybe a ploy to get more money. Uh, you know, when I talk to the, a lot of people about Boise State leaving the conference, they don't they don't put much merit behind that uh, for, for a couple of reasons. So, so, so you, you look at uh, if, if Boise is going to leave the Mountain West, they essentially have four options. They join the Pac-12, they join the Big 12, they go to the American Athletic Conference, or they go independent. So, so let's start with independent. No one seems to think that's an option. Personally, I don't think Boise State can afford to go independent. You, you got to have a, a pretty, pretty good endowment, pretty, pretty good cash base to be able to afford just to do that. Then you look at the Pac-12. That one, to me, makes the most regional sense, obviously. I mean, you, you look at the, the schools that Boise State is just a, a hop, skip, and a jump from, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Utah, Cal. All those are very sellable games, and almost all those schools have coaches on their staffs that were once at Boise State. So from a regional rivalry standpoint, I don't see how you couldn't sell those games. Now, I, this year, someone brought it to me to, for, the, for the first time that every school in the Pac-12 right now is technically a, a research university, and Boise State, Boise State is not in that, in that realm. So I don't know hmm. if that's an unspoken rule for Pac-12 schools. I, I don't know. Um, but that, that, you know, if that hasn't happened yet, well, I'm not sure why people think it would happen now. Same thing with the Big 12. You know, I mean, Big 12 seems like an option. If they go back to their 12-team structure, maybe they could, you know, they, they would certainly have a, a place for Boise State. From a marketing standpoint, it makes sense to me. Boise State, you know, they come with a built-in marketing power. They've got a national brand. Are they Alabama? Are they Clemson? No. But, I mean, they're a very sellable program. So maybe the Big 12. But, again, if that hasn't happened to this point, why, why would we think it's going to happen now? So then the, the kind of Well, it should. The Big is, Ten stuff is just terrible. I hate the 10-team format and then having a championship game where the team has to play. Like, it just cannibalizes I, themselves. I agree. It makes I agree. no I, sense I, to me. I hate to. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But they seem to, and I, and I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe they do that in a year or two. I'm not sure where they are with TV contracts and whatnot, but, you know, maybe something happens there and, and they make a move. Um, the dream for a lot of people, I think, is that you take a Boise State and maybe a San Diego State or an Air Force out of the Mountain West and put them in the American Athletic Conference. And then you mm-hmm. just have a monster group of five conference with Memphis, Cincinnati, SMU, Navy, Boise State, UCF. I mean, I mean, that could be a really great conference. Yeah. But so, so from a stand from a stand from a fan standpoint, that would be great. From a financial standpoint, would it really make sense? I, no one I talk to seems to think they're going to make any more money in TV going to the American American Athletic Conference. So you're you're adding travel and you're not adding any more money. So you know, it, would that make sense for Boise to do? I really don't know. You know, in my opinion, I think all this blows blows over. I think Boise State gets another another extra cut of money from from the Mountain West because the Mountain West knows which side its bread is buttered on, and mm-hmm. I, I think I think this blows over. To be honest with you, did you see this coming at all? Was this something that you knew behind the scenes that uh, was rising? Um, at Not at all. To... No. Okay. So so, so well, let, let me let me let me backtrack on that a little bit. There there, there was a little bit of signs during the season. So so. When the bowl game was announced, when the, the Vegas Bowl was announced, uh, Harson in his con- press conference kind of put some pressure on the conference there, saying that, you know, the, the, the Craig Thompson in the Mountain West was not doing the same job of advertising the conference as the guys in the American Athletic Course. So they did put some pressure there. Um, Kurt Apsley had some, had some comments there to kind of show that, that they weren't happy. But to see them actually taking a legal action route, no, I, I, I didn't see this coming. Um, and, and in hindsight, maybe I should have. Um, Boise State's comments when the original deal came out, you know, their last comment was we're, we're weighing our options and we're going to see what happens. 
So maybe I should have taken that as, you know, hey, you know, maybe something is going to happen. But but now this, this whole legal course of action, I, I didn't see this coming at all. Hmm. Well, this is uh, I like I agree with you. I think ultimately the Boise wins this power struggle. And I think this is just I think, I think they like, have to. Yeah. I, I mean, like, there's, the there's no one else. No this one is else where mm-hmm. this is where they like they just they have too much leverage. I think mm-hmm. they have, they know they have leverage. They know that they can push back against this. It's almost like um where you'll see one NBA or professional sports commissioner um just acquiesce to the majority of the owners and mm-hmm. understand that like certain teams are more valuable than others but like just to save mm-hmm. face we'll just go to bat for them and pretend like they're on the same playing field that uh, exactly <laughs> like jerry bust just being different than the rest of the owners in the nba years ago like i could just see that same kind of deal where it's just like i have to pretend that uh we're all in this together and that i've got your backs and you're all new university presidents blah blah, blah. let's take on boise a little bit and then he's also mm-hmm. like talking to boise being like no no no, i got you but um well i gotta pretend that i'm on like i, I gotta play both sides here and Absolutely. I just I, that that makes the most sense to me I think so. I, I, I think that's where it goes. I, I've had a couple of off-the-record conversations with people. Uh, not Craig Thompson himself, obviously, but with, with people who, who seem to say this, the same thing. Um, what's uh, what's Brian Harson like to cover? What what do you make of mm-hmm. uh, Brian Harson, and what's different about him from uh, Chris Peterson? Mm, well, uh, I, I should say I, I don't have a lot of experience with Chris Peterson. Um, okay. I met him for the first time at, at the Vegas Bowl. Um, but I can tell you what I've learned about Brian Harson covering him in the past, this, 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 at the end of this past season. Brian Harson is a robot sent from the future to go one and zero every week. <laughs> he, he lives and dies by that in-house motto. He will tell you as little as possible, but with as many words as possible. I, I, I just think Brian Harson's a, a really interesting guy to interview. I mean, you, you, you'll ask him a question and he'll talk for five minutes, and you're like, wait, he didn't answer my question. Uh, he, he, he's pretty masterful at that. Um, he, he's mm. a brilliant, office, he's a brilliant office of mind. Um, very, very much ha- has his hands in every pot on the team. Uh, you know, when you're seeing all those trick plays called, you know, he, he, he's has a lot of inf- influence there. Um, he's very involved with the quarterbacks. Uh, he, he's, he, you know, it, he's one of those guys that, that will he, will he ever leave Boise state again? That, that's the question. So like, Every job that comes open, his name's going to get thrown out there. And that's going to continue. I mean, this has happened for years. Um, he, he admitted last year that before Crystal Ball took the Oregon job, he interviewed for that job. Um, there, was a, there was a lot of rumbling this offseason about Missouri, about Arkansas, about Baylor. Um, the question is, is he going to leave? You know, he, he's from the Boise area. He played at Boise. Uh, inter- interestingly enough, he grew up with Jake Plummer. Um, that was hmm. a nice little, little little nugget that I learned this year, um, but but he he's he's got those ties to to his hometown program, um, you know. In, in the grand scheme of things, he's not making outrageous money. You know, his base salary is one point seven five million with incentives. He's making between two and three every year. Um, the truth is, all those programs that I that I mentioned, you know, the Baylor's, the Missouri's, the Arkansas's, Washington State, Washington, all those programs could easily double his salary. You know, no problem, no, no questions asked. But is that enough to pull him away from a sure winner? You know, he, he's been here since, since 2014. His worst season, I believe, was 9-4 in 2015. Um, again, they have that national brand. You know, are they playing for a national title? No, but they're, they're playing on national television every week. They're in a bowl every year. I just, I don't know. I, I think eventually he does leave, but I think it's got to be the, the right position. I mean, you know, it, it's a different world. You mentioned Chris Peterson. 
he, he still has a home in Boise. He still comes out here all the time. And uh, he talked about how when he was the head coach of Boise, he said he couldn't walk down the street because everyone stopped him. Everyone wanted to meet him. You know, they wanted to go have drinks with him. They, they had a, a, a marathon they run here every year, and, and it was the, the beat, beat Chris Peterson marathon. You know, everyone wanted to race him. But then he goes to Washington, and he, and he walks down the street in Seattle, and nobody knows who he is. And he admitted that, that took some getting used to. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of coaches in the country that would love that kind of anonymity. Um, but for a guy that's been the big fish in a small pond for so many years, that can be, that can be tough. And for a guy that's been at a sure winner, say, you know, Brian Harsin had taken that Arkansas or that Missouri job, he's not going to win right away in those programs. He's going to have to put up with two, maybe three years of, of, of losing football to really get to where he wants to be. So I don't know. I, I don't know what Brian Harsin's future is. I think eventually he does take that, that power five paycheck, um, but, I, but I couldn't tell you where and when. Yeah, I think it's the Chris Peterson model where Chris – waited and waited and then Washington acquiesced everything that he actually wanted. And Mm -hmm. he was like, this is the perfect situation. I can build my own program. Like, and he could see a path to New Year's six games and potentially even winning a playoff game. Like, I think he, he saw like, just, he was good. He knew he was going to keep winning at Boise. He had a good program. So unless you give him something that's just above and beyond, it's close to home, all that kind of stuff. um, Yeah. Oregon makes a lot of sense there where really if he gets his own thing that's that's the one to watch so he'll probably interview again at some point for that 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 makes a lot of sense like him staying in the northwest somewhere over there but it's just the perfect storm um for him but he's also very comfortable at boise and he's still young early 40s like mm-hmm. there's no rush he doesn't have to do anything um he's got hank bachmeyer uh for the foreseeable future so he'll keep popping out kellen moores and all these guys um <laughs> it, it's just zambrowski and everybody else uh but they'll be fine um speaking of bachmeyer um, what's the status on him going into 2020? That's a great question. That that is the that is the million dollar question. Um, that be, these guys have these guys this season took their quarterbacks and locked them in Fort Knox and didn't let anybody get near them. Um, we we didn't we didn't even speak to a quarterback until the whew, ninth game of the season. Um, so they're 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 keeping that close to vest close to their vest. There was some injuries there during the season for sure. Um, Bottomire had he, he had a hip something with his hip um, after a hit against Hawaii. Um, we think it was he had a shoulder injury after his last start against San Jose State. Um, you know there was some rumblings about mental toughness. Who knows? I mean, I mean all that all that was rumor rumor kind of stuff. You know, he's a young guy. He came in at 18 years old. He has a bit of a reckless playing style, so he, he's going to have to work on that. Um, but but he seems like the guy going forward. I mean, there, there seems no question. I'm I'm honestly a little surprised that the other quarterback Chase Cord hasn't transferred to this point. Um, now there is some new, some news out there that, that he's been seen around campus uh, this this spring this, this this month, and it was his arm in a sling. So that suggests to me that maybe he had some off-season surgery, cleaned something up in his shoulder or something. So maybe that's why he hasn't transferred yet. But he seems like a guy that, that, that will not be here for the, for the foreseeable future. So they got to bring in somebody behind Bachmeyer. Um, they don't have anybody that's a, a, that's a sure bet yet. They just got to commit in their 2020 class from a young man named Cade Finnegan out of Texas. Put up ridiculous numbers, uh, like 6,500 yards and, and 118 touchdowns in three years as a starter, but was really under-recruited, only a two-star recruit, according to 247. Um, right now, he's finishing up a Mormon uh, a mission in Argentina right now, so he's going to join the team this summer. So maybe he's a diamond in the rough, you know, who really knows. 
But Hank just seems like he's that guy going forward. He, he's got the mentality of a star quarterback. He's got the arm. He's just got to kind of figure it out mentally. Um, he's going to have plenty of weapons around him this this, this 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 coming fall. You look at receivers, I mean, Khalil Shakir is maybe the the, the, the one of the best uh, receivers in the conference. Um, C.T. Thomas is a quick little 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 slot guy. George Halani is at worst one of the top three running backs coming back in the conference. They got plenty to work to do on the offensive line. They got to replace four starters in the offensive line, but but he's going to have some weapons that could potentially put up some big numbers this year. Yeah, I'm I'm not worried about it. Quarterback is like the one thing I never worry about at uh, Boise <laughs> State. Um, but there was an <laughs> offensive coordinator change as well. Um, that there seems was. pretty seamless. Uh, but is there anything there that you're interested in uh, in regards to the wide receiver coach to yeah, see? Sure, yeah. Um, uh, Eric Kesaw, um is the new offensive coordinator. You know, I, I don't see much changing, certainly nothing schematically. Um, you know, I, I, I still think they're going to play multiple quarterbacks. That, that seems to be a thing that they do here at Boise. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to be heavy in the passing game. They're going to want to run the ball, but it's really going to depend on, you know, how, how quickly the offensive line can gel. Um, they've got a deep group of receivers they can lean on. So, so I, I don't see much changing in that respect. Um, the kind of cool thing with Keysaw coming to offensive coordinators, they brought back one of their all-time leading receivers in Matt Miller um, to coach the receivers. He'd been at Montana State for the last couple of years. Uh, he still holds the program record for most receptions. Um, so I'm sure that's cool to see some of those players, to kind of see a former player like that. They're still looking for a, a, a running backs coach. Um, one name that's been floated out there a few times is DJ Harper, a former Boise State running back. He's currently in the uh, CFL rankings coaching, uh, I believe, the Ottawa Rough Riders uh, running backs. Mm. I may have that wrong. Uh, but, but, but he's maybe a name to keep, out, keep an eye out for there. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't see much changing offensively. I, I think it's going to be pretty much the same ship as last year. We don't know. They don't, they don't want to tell us who's going to be calling the plays yet. I think, I think that means it's going to be a group effort. Um, Harson's going to have his hands in there. Keesaw's going to have his hands in there. So, so I, I think it, I think it should be a pretty seamless transition. Last thing, and then we'll wrap up here. Um, the 2020 schedule. What does it look like to you? How many wins? What are you interested in? What have you circled? Ooh, well, certainly that that that, that Florida State game early in the year. Um, that was one interesting uh, nugget that came out of this whole TV deal thing. Is that Fox is really dangling that out there as 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 their big noon kickoff early in the season. Um, so that would be a 10 a.m. start here, which, which was exciting for me personally. Um, but I think that would be a great game. Um, they go to Marshall, which should be interesting. You know, Marshall's kind of one of those hit-or-miss teams, but, but they have a lot coming back next year. Um, they, you know, they're, they're pretty they're – pretty, uh, they got seven home games next year, which is interesting. Um, on the road, you know, they go to Hawaii, which would be fun. They go to New Mexico. Um, I, I, it's an exciting schedule, I think. I you know, it, it's hurt a little bit, in my opinion, with the opener. They open against Georgia Southern. Um, I think in the long run, you know, that's the change that Boise State itself has to make is they have to get the Georgia Southerns and the Portland States off their schedule. I think if you're if you're Alabama, if you're Clemson, if you're established, you can afford to play those schools. But Boise State can't afford to play those schools and be in the New Year's Six conversation. So they they got to find a way to get more Utahs and Washington States and Oregon States on their schedule and get some of those FCS and, and lower level FBS schools off, in my opinion. Um, but outside of that, you know, I mean, I, I see, I see eight, nine wins again next year. Um, unless that offensive line just falls apart, you know, that offense, that offense is going to be tough to stop. They got, they got some pieces coming back on defense. I, I'd be surprised if they, if they lost fewer than, if they won fewer than nine games. All right. Well, Ron, this has been great. Um, what can we check out from you this week on, uh, on the website? 
For sure, yeah. I, I've actually uh, talked. I've got a, a story coming out uh, this week, just kind of talking about what we were just talking about, whether or not that move to the AAC makes sense from a financial standpoint, from a competition standpoint. Um, I've also got some stories coming out this week about Boise State's baseball team. Uh, Boise State just reinstated baseball for the first time since the 80s. Um, so this will be their first season back on the diamond. So I've got a couple of stories coming out about that. So, uh, so yeah, lots lot to look out for. All right, go do that, Ron. Thank you so much, and we'll have to do this again soon. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me on. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, You can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. For as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. You could go to ChaseThomasPodcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. um, So go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, So that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.